Welcome to Taj Talam. Uh, in today's episode, we're continuing our series through the Democratic uh, candidates for president in 2020. And today we're covering Elizabeth Warren. We're going to be talking about her life, her policies, and what we think about her candidacy. Yeah, including our visit to her barnstorm. <laughs> yes. Welcome to Taj Talam for episode four on Elizabeth Warren. We're recording here from sunny Hollywood, California. And I'm, my name is Jack Chen. I'm here with my friend T. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, and so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the next Democratic uh, presidential candidate, which is Elizabeth Warren. Ah, oh, nice. So how'd you first hear about Elizabeth Warren? Um, I actually first heard about, about her um, from during uh, 2016 when she was, uh, you know, kind of talking on behalf of Bernie, you know, uh, and then later on she endorsed uh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, you know, similarly, I was listening to uh, the Dan Carlin's uh, podcast, uh, Common Sense. Um, and, you know, he's more of like a libertarian. And so, you know, he was actually uh, mentioning Elizabeth Warren as, you know, someone who he wished could run for president in 2016. The libertarian was saying this? Yeah, so that was wow. pretty interesting, you know, because I, I think what it is is he's very much against his corruption. And so I think he really appreciated, uh, you know, uh, her stance uh, against corruption. I, I, I do sense that when I when I went into her history and her policies, I do sense that that she is very anti uh, moneyed interest in the government. No, very true. You know, she she's big on uh, regulation uh, and effective regulation. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, one of her claims to fame, uh, which is was the, the start of the Consumer Protections Bureau. Um, you know, I think that was started under the Obama presidency. Uh, she actually was the person to create it, uh, which is, you know, I think that shows that that's a that's a great thing on a resume because she shows she knows how to build uh, a department from scratch mm-hmm. uh, that has been, you know, pretty successful. And even though she wasn't named director, I believe she, she was named like vice president or something. Uh, so the- I think in the beginning she was acting director. But then I think when it came to getting her approved as, you know, the formal director, you're right. There was some politics going on. And well, they, you know, it was the this. Republicans that didn't want her. Exactly. Because they knew that she was going to go against this money interest. And in order to, for that to go through, she actually took a step back and said, hey, yeah, I'll point somebody else. And with overwhelming Democratic support for her to become director, though. No, true. But, you know, she had she made her mark on the department. She was key in the design of it, in the hiring of it. You know, one thing that I'll really give her credit for is that she doesn't just have these like very beautiful idealistic ideas, but she has the shrewdness in order to execute on them. Like case in point, uh, there was this, you know, big decision that had to be made whether uh, the department was going to be run by a committee of both Republicans and Democrats or one person. And she opted for one person. Uh, because she was saying, hey, we got to build this right from the start, especially with the culture. And so as a result, you know, she was able to staff it with people who really cared about the uh, interests of the American people who really were against corruption. And so even though the, so the danger of putting one person in charge is once the administration changed, which it did, uh, it runs the risk of then uh, the new guy like really changing it. But to Elizabeth Warren's uh, wisdom and foresight, because she just built it with this such, you know, this great culture of like fighting for the American people uh, against moneyed interests, you know, like the the new it's department hard to per- penetrate. Oh yeah, it's hard to change, you know. And also, I think in the beginning, it was shown to be so successful that it's actually very popular now, and so it's very hard to undo a department that's very successful. You know, I, I think probably the, the the case they're most well known for 
is they really uh, punished Wells Fargo for opening up a bunch of fake credit cards and accounts uh, for you know on consumers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they really caught him with the pants down. And so she's really good about catching, like, financial fraud, you know, in, in, to the tune of, like, $30, billions, uh, $30 billion that these companies literally stole from the American people. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, that's, that shows why. And that, that line was, uh, was great when she looked at the Wells Fargo CEO and said, at worst, you are complicit and at best, you are incompetent. Which is true. Yeah. Because, I mean, true. hey, yeah, I know. Even though you are CEO and you don't know what's happening at the lowest level, but it's still your fucking job. Yeah, yeah. it's like I build a website for you. You're like, T, it doesn't work. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I got a bunch of Russian bots in here, man. <laughs> oh, um, uh, it wasn't, you know, I tried the best I could. You know, I didn't do that on purpose. You know. But okay, so so you know, what did you find out about her? Uh, so, you know, we can start with kind of her personal life, you okay. know, like um, she grew up uh, kind of middle class, um, you know, her own description, kind of more so lower middle class, I think, like hanging on by their fingernails or something like that was a, oh, Oklahoma, right? Yep, In Oklahoma, middle of the country. Uh, I mean, she's 70, she's over 70 years old. So she grew up in a much different America uh, at a time where, you know, women, they're a lot more like traditional gender norms. And so, you know, even though she was one of the most like uh, successful debaters in her high school uh, just women during that time from that part of the country weren't expected to go to college. I mean, she was de- she she was uh, born in 1949, so she, when she when she graduated high school, it was like 1967. Yeah, no, right? true. Yeah, and that's just the beginnings of like the 60s flower child kind of movement. So I think you know maybe the beginnings of like women liberation was kind of like becoming more in vogue in society. But in Oklahoma, you know, definitely not. You know, to her, you know, she even self described to say like her expectations or the expe- expectations placed on her were to become like a wife and a mother and that's it. Okay. Also, you know, she uh, actually did, uh, and she came from like, uh, you know, like I said, a lower middle class background. So her parents didn't really have a lot of money. Um, I think her dad was like a janitor. Her mom was a stay at home mom. Uh, she tells this very, uh, you know, this, this, this story in the campaign trail that like her dad got laid off uh, because of an injury and her mom, you know, like tearfully was kind of squeezing into her best dress to go to a, a interview at Sears. Uh, and because, you know, she was able to get that job and be a working woman, she was able to kind of like support the family. And keep their house. Oh, yeah, and keep their house. And so it's something where, um, you know, I think the trajectory overall in her life is a story of kind of like uh, women empowerment in a sense. Um, in a very legitimate sense. Because what's interesting is she ended up going to, um, you know, college, but she ended up dropping out at 19 because her high school sweetheart, uh, her first husband, asked her uh, to marry him. And that's and, how she got her last name, right? Oh, yeah, Warren. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, what's really sad is like, you know, today if that was happening, you know, like no self-respecting woman would, you know, like interrupt her career like that, you know. But I think just during, during you know, her time it was like, okay, this is what's expected to me, you know. Like I think it shows that, you know, she, you know, is someone who's conscientious for like, you know, the needs of I think, you know, her family and things like that, you know. And so, you know, for you know, she wanted to. Be, she wanted to respect her parents' uh, wishes, so you know she ended up getting married. Yeah, it's uh, that that classic story of what I want to do and what col- what society wants me to do, right? Yeah, and the family. So in that way, I think as like uh, you know, coming from an Asian background, you and I, we kind of understand that a little more intimately because in some sense, the Asian culture is more traditional in that sense, where what the family wants kind of takes precedent over what the individual wants, uh, versus you know what modern day Western culture is. It's more just individual, and so. 
uh, you know, she ended up uh, marrying this guy. Uh, you know, uh, he moved around the country for his job, but she was able to convince him to, you know, finish her college education. She ended up getting like a law degree. Uh, she ended up even becoming like a professor. She went to Rutgers or something like that, right? I think so. Yeah, not not a not. She doesn't come from like a great uh, academic background, just because it was so dependent on where they were living at the time. Her, uh. and her husband, because her husband was, uh, you know, the sole breadwinner. No, but but she was very accomplished. You know, she she she. Got some really high degrees. No, no, definitely. I mean, you think about it. For that time for a woman to have like a law degree, you know, like that's not common. And so, you know, she ended up becoming a professor, which also was not common. And so and at um, Harvard too. Uh, not yet. In oh, the beginning, okay. that, no, uh, that, she, that. she was, I believe, a uh, professor, uh, I believe at a university in Texas. Uh, I want to say Houston. And so, but she ended up divorcing her husband and she cites, you know, uh, well, she and her, um, slash her biographer, you know, it cites that, you know, it was this kind of like, who he, who her first husband thought he had married was, you know, this kind of traditional gal that was just going to be stay at home and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, Elizabeth Warren, you know, she's cut from a different cloth, you know, like she has a gift that she, you know, needed to share with the rest of the world, you know. And so, um, you know, a year later, she remarried uh, with her now current husband. Uh, and actually, she asked him to marry her. So. Oh, what? <laughs> go, girl. You yeah, go, that, girl. Yeah, there you go. There you, you go. get it. <laughs> I don't know if she's the one that bought the ring and then went on one knee. But <laughs> uh, oh, man. But, but no, they mean, hey. And when was that? That was about like one year after her divorce. Uh, gosh, I don't wow, know. So that, I think that was in like the 70s. I think I, so. I think I they divorced. That's very progressive. Oh, yeah, very, very progressive. And I think it's because she, from firsthand experience, like learned the lessons of, you know what, I'm in control of my own life. You know, like as much as I want to respect the wishes of my family and the people in society, you know, they may not, I mean, they're, they have good intentions, but their understanding is very limited. And so I think, and this arc of kind of challenging conventional wisdom uh, continues to carry through, you know, because her real like claim to fame, the beginning of her career was uh, her stance on uh, the bankruptcy laws. You know, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you're uh, very familiar with that. Um, oh, uh, not too familiar, but... So, you know, long story short, it, it was like, uh, you know, she... And actually, originally was Republican. So she That's had this, correct. like, strict dad mentality of, like, oh, people who took her bankruptcy, like, you know, they're the welfare queens. Yeah, the scumbags who are just getting out of uh, paying for all the lavish spendings that they did before oh yeah yeah it's like they wasted their money on cadillacs and like nice clothes and eating out you but know. the truth she found out was no it was actually you know like uh, a sickness in the family a b a inability to pay medical bills you know like it, it was these things where you know most people aren't rich you know so some kind of big life-changing event like this you know it's going to put your finances in a, in a tailspin it goes back to that 75 percent of the people can't afford a $400 emergency right now. No, very true. And especially people like of color, you know, and I think, you know, people who are like immigrants and things or, like that. Or women. Or women. Yeah. You know, so it's something where, you know, these are the most vulnerable uh, segments of our population, you know, who not through no fault of their own, no kind of irresponsibility, just, you know, life happening to them. And, and also disaffected men, you know. Yeah, very hey, true. There are men who are good people who just... Got the worst, the, the 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 short end of the stick. Yeah, you know, bad luck happens to everyone, and, and so it's something where she realized that you know, wait a minute, like, yeah, the story that I've been told is all wrong, you know, and so she switched. But you know who didn't switch? Joe Biden. <laughs> Back then, that motherfucker, Jurassic Joe. Oh yeah, that guy was like trying to make uh, banks be harder. He was trying to recover more money for these creditors. You know, he was on the wrong side of history there, and so you know, but was that the first time? 
<laughs> Certainly not the last time. Um, but and so it's 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 a form of like almost like a I don't know if poetic justice is the right term, but like you know at least serendipity that she is now going head to head with Biden again. Yeah, um, I don't think she's been on the same debate stage as him yet. Huh? Not yet. I feel like it's been purposeful that they've been keeping the two separate because I think her campaign is so substantive that I think she's going to reveal the emptiness of his campaign. Um, I think he's going to re- reveal the emptiness of his campaign. No, that's fair. I mean, that guy is having trouble just stringing words together at this <laughs> point. <so. laughs> now that guy is showing his age, really. No, he is. You know, because, you know, like um, uh, Elizabeth Warren isn't that much uh, younger than him, but she is like like a she's whip. Articulate. Like, she's articulate. She's, she's sharp, uh, knowledgeable. Uh, you know, Biden, you just can confuse. Go to Joe30330.com. Uh. <laughs> and I mean, during the debates, I, I, want, I don't want to bring it back to the debates again, but like, you know, there were times where they said, hey, time's up. And oh, oh. And he's like, oh, and yeah, 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 whatever, you know. <laughs> In his mind, oh, saved by the bell, good. <laughs> no, very true, you know. And I think, you know, compared to, you know, Warren, like she is so erudite that she can go on at length about, you know, policy minutia. And, you know, that's why I think, you know, by far she is the most well-informed of any candidate, uh, you know, running right now. Uh, and, and, and I think I think uh, we, we went to Elizabeth Warren's barnstorm in L.A. Uh, last week. And uh, her whole uh, campaign model is she's got a plan for that. And fair, and she does, you know. And I think even the way she's running her campaign, I think, shows uh, her ability uh, to be a good institution builder, you know, because it was a very well-run, like, event. Like, they're embracing modern-day these uh, technology in the form of, like, these apps, uh, you know, using, like, the big data to kind of, like, uh, help aid in, like, uh, you know, making sure that what resource she does have are just being properly allocated. And so, you know, she is very meticulous about the details. And so, you know, the only really knock on her is a knock of style. And it's not a knock of substance. You know, she's the real deal. Um, and and, and to, te- to, to add to your the, the details, remember how when I signed up with, the, uh, uh, with her, her group, I texted it. Remember what was texted back? Uh, oh, no. A picture of her dog. Ah, Bailey mm-hmm. and he says oh if you got a picture of Bailey blah blah I mean who doesn't love a picture of your dog in their phone <laughs> Not sure, yeah. and she does have this kind of like folksy kind of quality like this every 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 woman every man kind of uh, qualities to it uh, I mean sometimes I think it's it's she lays it on a little too thick you know, but but you know her actual roots though you know she doesn't come from privilege you know now I think you know she's doing pretty well for herself I, I think. mean you, you're in Massachusetts so oh, yeah I mean her net worth is somewhere like between four to eleven million dollars yeah, and yeah. so you know she, by no means is uh you know, she's salt of the earth anymore but you know uh, I think she's she's definitely earned it being uh you know uh you know a practicing lawyer uh you know um Harvard professor. Yes. Uh, and, and so, you know, I don't think we should punish people for their own success, you know, especially if it's, I mean, Hey, Bernie's a millionaire right now. No, that's true. Yeah. From the book, uh, revenue. So it's something where like, I, you know, just cause someone has money doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad person or they're corrupt. Uh, I think it's just looking at the, what, what was the source of that money? Um, uh, but at any rate, you know, I think, you know, uh, you know, the bankruptcy, uh, issue kind of propelled her forward into the national stage. She won, um, the Senate seat that I, I believe, uh, 2012, I 2012, believe. I believe. I think it was Ted Kennedy's old seat. Um, I think she beat like a, a very weak Republican uh, that, that was holding it. Um, 
And then, you know, she began to enter into, like, the national conversation through an appearance on the, the Jon Stewart show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is where I like her. She's very earnest. You know, she was saying, you know, uh, she was saying that before she went on that show, she was literally, like, vomiting <laughs> backstage because I just have been so nervous, you know. And I think, uh, but when you watch her, you know, performance on that show, you know, she comes across as, like, you know, very earnest, uh, very well-intentioned, uh, you know, very well-informed. You know, she was talking about how, when the U.S. Uh, government was like, you know, buying the stock of these auto companies to bail them out, uh, they the U.S. government got cheated. The U.S. government uh, got sixty-six cents worth of stock for every one dollar they put in, and, and so that's something where she pays attention to the details. She's not afraid of calling out the shortcomings of like the government, you know. So she's not trying to like put positive spin on things. She she's owning it, and so uh, that kind of uh, honesty and transparency, I, I think, is just, is really needed. In the and I mean, it's a rare rarity to have somebody who understands the financial aspects and the legal aspects of a of a, a of a situation um so you know reading into her uh you know her policies really and, and her medium uh uh articles like she knows what she's talking about she she's and also um when we were at the barnstorm um we were talking to a scientist who supported her and he was just, he, I mean, you could tell how um, much he really liked her. Yeah, and, you know, that was something that, uh, so, you know, uh, we've been to uh, two uh, different uh, political events uh, together during the season. Uh, one was the Andrew Yang fundraiser and uh, the other being this barnstorm uh, by Elizabeth Warren. And I was, uh, there's a very stark difference between the type of people that attend each event. You know, I'd say Andrew Yang is attracting a lot of political outsiders, a lot of like young men. Uh, a lot of people who, you know, aren't really active in politics, but then are just very passionate and active on the internet. I think Angie Yang has won the meme war. Oh, man, the memes are awesome, man. (laughs) But but Elizabeth Warren, she seems to garner a lot of support from people who have a history of political activism. Like, a lot of people we talked to at that barnstorm, this wasn't their first rodeo. Like, they've worked on political campaigns in the past. And and not just presidential campaigns. It sounded like they worked on uh, local campaigns, too. No, very true. They were already familiar with the tools uh, that they were providing in form of like these apps. And so I think that's where, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, her uh, campaign, it's probably, you know, one of the be- one of the, the best run. Uh, I also think that, you know, despite being kind of older, like being in her 70s, she understands the value of technology. Like she, uh, her, at least her, uh, the people working for her campaign were really emphasizing uh, the importance of big data. Even the fact that she is making such a, a big early investment in grassroots organization building versus like media ad spend. I think that shows that, you know, she is looking to innovate uh, and she's responding to uh, data, you know, because they wouldn't make that big investment uh, uh, if it wasn't uh, giving greater returns than traditional media buys. Now, uh, for those who don't know what a barnstorm is, which we didn't even know what that was when we first went there, it was a grassroots movement to go canvassing. For those who don't know what canvassing is, it's for you to knock on doors and talk to people about politics. And if not to, and, and the, 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 the way they ran it was like, hey, don't try to convince people. Just, you know, talk to them and see what their concerns are. And then we can gather this information and this way we can work with it. Now, we live in LA. And how many people were there about? I would say easily maybe like 300. 
300 people who live in LA were willing to knock on random strangers' doors to talk to them about politics. I mean, man, I mean, that that's a there's a level of dedication for you to want to do that. Yeah, very true. And, you know, it, this meeting was held in like a tent outdoors in like the sweltering heat that we've been experiencing. And so mm-hmm. these people are dedicated. I mean, you even called out like you were looking at a, a woman's notebook and she had written, uh, dream big, fight hard. And so, you know, she's really tapping into like the idealism uh, that's in people's hearts. And so, you know, I, I really feel like, you know, um, yeah, she, she I think she's plugging into that same kind of desire for change that Sanders is tapping into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, she's just uh, a slightly different form of it. You know, uh, we spoke about this in our earlier episode about the debates. But, you know, she really represents not necessarily an overturning of our existing political system, but more so like an improvement upon it, like just by adding more regulation, more safeguards. And so I think this incremental approach, I think it speaks to uh, more so uh, you know, moderates who are like, hey, you know, like the system isn't completely broken. It just needs to be improved. Right. Um, I, and I, I, you know, there, there are parts about her policies that I do uh, have concerns about. Ah, let's hear um, But before we go to that, what was the next thing? Are we going to policies right yeah, now? Yeah, let's okay. hear policies. Sounds I good. mean, and she is a policy wonk. So, uh, I know. mean, well, uh, first of all, uh, she of all the candidates, and uh, you know this, I'm I'm always looking at the markets. I'm looking at investing. I'm looking at the economy. I, I um, that's that's a passion of mine. Politics is also a passion of mine. I and mean, you can, you know, normally I don't speak with so much uh, angst and uh, you know excitement level, but uh, when I'm with T, I get like that. So uh, so um, you know and. and she, to her credit, back in 2006, 2007, she was one of the first ones who was saying, hey, there's something going on with the banking industry. We need to rein them in. And then 2008 happened. You know, nobody listened to her. Now she's also, she's talking about how there's going to be another economic crash. There is going to be an issue. Um, she, and, and the funny, the crazy thing is she's pointing at all the right problems. You got family and student debt issues and right now we're at historically low interest rates right now the federal fund rate is 2.5 percent they just lowered it to 2.25 percent that means for those people who don't understand federal fund rate that affects every kind of loan that you have including your credit card debt so that means right now you're paying like 19 percent on your credit card debt Wait until that federal fund rate goes up. Then you're going to be paying 25% and 30%. And then you're going to be really squeezed. She's looking at that. She's looking at corporate debts. So people, uh, uh, what caused the 2008 financial crisis were, were these things called CDO, collateralized debt obligations. And they, the banking industry got in a lot of problem with that, although nobody went to jail because they're too big to jail. Um, so now they changed the name and made it called, it's called collateralized loan obligations. Ah, uh, much better. CLO, you know, collateralized loser obligations. And basically those are corporate debts. So and it used to be housing debt. Now it's corporate debt. So a lot of companies like WeWorks or Uber and, you know, all these companies who are losing million, billions of dollars a year. And now they're running on a lot of debt. And they're using these debts and they're being sold to investors. And that is an issue because once the interest rate goes up, these companies are going to be squeezed too. We have a manufacturing recession, the trade war. 
inverted yield curve. That's something we'll cover on another episode. But and I'm just like, I'm just flabbergasted. I said, wow, she really knows her stuff. She's pointing at all the right problems. Ah, but does she have the right solutions? Well, this is interesting. So she does have solutions for these. Household debt, she wants to raise the minimum wage, which could help with the income issue. $50,000, and I think you're going to elaborate on this later on, $50,000 of student debt cancellation. Uh, lowering their rents through her housing program. Affordable child care and tuition-free college. So that is all to help personal, uh, family, and student um, finances. You know, if you lower the your your cost, that's going to help you. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you lower your rents. If they lower your affordable child, lower your child care cost, that's going to help you to pay off all these uh, debts that you've accumulated. She wants to enforce uh, and monitor more guidelines for corporate debt so that those CLOs don't, do not get out of control because that is the th part about Wall Street. Uh, it gets out of control because there's so much greed. Then you got uh, the manufacturing recession, and she wants to bring in kind of part of that whole Green New Deal, green tech manufacturing. We need to convert um, all these uh, manufacturing plants to, uh, to manufacture uh, you know, clean energy. Instead of building cars, we should be building solar panels. Instead of getting coal, we should be building wind turbine. You know, like those are things that are going to help with the manufacturing recession. And she also wants to get rid of the debt ceiling for the government. Now, that is an issue that I don't agree with, but she is, she is also pointing at that issue because there is a unsustainable amount of comp uh, government debt right now. Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, uh, I think that's one, a great summary uh, of her platform. Um, but I will say this, you've also you've also uh, kind of called attention to like the key like weakness in her platform, which is, you know, how are you going to pay for all this stuff? Mm -hmm. uh, because to your point, you know, how she's going to pay for it is getting us like deeper and deeper in debt. Because, uh, you know, she, she claims uh, that this wealth tax that she's come up with, which is essentially, you know, 2% tax uh, on every dollar. So she, she likens it in their folksy way. Two pennies on every dollar that a, a millionaire has over $50 million. Um, which is every year. Am I correct? That's my understanding of it. Uh, so just and it's a, it's a tax not on income, but on wealth, on assets. And so. The United States already kind of has a wealth tax. It's called the estate tax, but it's only paid, you know, when someone passes away. But, you know, the rich people have found a way to kind of circumvent it. You know, there's these family trusts. I mean, even like the Getty uh, Foundation that runs the Getty Museum, that's just a means to kind of you know, get away from uh, paying this estate tax uh, mm -hmm. to Getty's heirs. Uh, and so that's kind of maybe my biggest concern about, uh, you know, her saying, oh, don't worry about it. The wealth tax will cover it. I'm like, well, the wealth tax, it's, it's tricky because one, how do you assess the worth of wealth? Because the wealth isn't necessarily liquid, like money in a cash account. It could be like, uh, oh, this person has Ferragamo shoes. This person has a Picasso. This person has a Rolls Royce. I mean, they just very easily, they have five mansions. There you go. You know, so how do you value all these, uh, you know, uh, uh, pr uh, property? And how, you know, because you have to think about depreciation, et cetera, et cetera. And also, like, you know, it isn't like when I have, like, a Rolex watch, the government knows I have it. So, like, how, <laughs> how is the government going to find out I have this Rolex watch, right, you know? Right. So, I, I just So, feel you can get an approximation, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I, I think it's just something where, you know, the means in which rich people have shown the ability to shift around their wealth, you know? Like, well, I'm a little skeptical. Let me just kind of put it this way. She makes it very easily 
two cents for every dollar over one of uh, 50 million, right? There's 52 cents in one dollar. So that means if somebody stayed in America with all those assets in 50 years, it would be gone. Uh, up until they get to 50 million, they, they stop paying it. Right, correct. So up anything above 50 million is going to be gone. So there is a huge incentive for these guys to get the fuck out of America. Yeah, no, very true. I mean, when France tried to do like the really high income tax, I think 75% or something of the rich, even Gerard Depardieu, the beloved Frenchman, you know, like, <laughs> was the like, guy who also did a Depardieu <laughs> in the, on the plane, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I think, you know, the, 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 the concept behind the wealth tax, I think everyone can get behind. I think no one, like how many private jets does one person really need to have, you know? But once again, the feasibility, you know, and I just feel like, in the event that it's not feasible, then like, you know, how are we going to pay for all this stuff? You know, and I would hate to see what happened with Obamacare where then the costs get pushed to people like you and me. Like I saw my health care uh, costs, you know, uh, premiums go up by three times, 300 percent, you know, uh, because of Obamacare. And am I really the guy that should be paying for Obamacare? You know, like I'm not Jeff Bezos, you know, like this is a Casio. This is not a Rolex, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, this is something where it's like, hey, you know, like uh, I paid for my own college. You know, yeah. I'm not some rich fat cat, you know. So I, I think it's just something where like these giveaways, you know, like they sound nice. But, you know, and it's great if Jeff Bezos can pay for it. But let's be realistic here. So what what's going to happen is you're going to end up having to borrow money for the federal government because, hey, how are you going to forgive $50,000 of student loan for everybody? And how are you going to pay reparations? You know, she brought that up. She wants to pay or do reparations. Now, I'm against the moral case of reparations. I'm against? not against. I'm, I'm for. I'm sorry, uh, I messed that up. I'm for the the the, the case of the of the moral case for reparations. But I didn't own any slaves. My mom didn't own any slaves. You didn't own any slaves. Like, if you can make sure that only the descendant of slave owners will pay the reparations for the descendants of slaves. Go for it. But I'm talking to the population of people who were who came to America after the fact. No, very true. And, you know, some people argue, though, that, oh, we all benefited from it. But I, that's a very dubious argument. We're in California. How do we benefit from it? I mean, like I said, it's a very dubious <laughs> argument, you know, because I, you can claim I would say that most Ameri a lot of the vast majority of America's wealth came from wealth transfer from the first two world wars. You know, uh, you know, the, just to pay for all those wars, Europe, you know, they borrowed heavily from the United States. Mm -hmm. you know, and and United so should they. So they should. No, and to your point, yeah, yeah, maybe England has to pay some of these like, reparations. Exactly. You know? No. Um, and then also, what about your what about the descendants of the Union soldiers? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, it's one of the things so, where, yeah, it's it's just how where are you going to stop litigating? Should we start paying reparations for Native Americans? You know, who, you know whose land we took. I mean, we we kind of do that in the sense that they have like their casinos and things like those. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I don't know. I mean, like you know, should you know should there be African American owned casinos? I don't know. You know, yeah, it's just and, and it's a it's just too complicated. So if you really want to bring that up. I, I just I just think you're gonna get muddied and it's just it's just not gonna be easy for you politically. Yeah, because also I'll say this, you know, uh, if you look at the statistics, you know, actually white progressives favor reparations at a much higher rate than, than African-Americans. This is weird. And yeah. so it's kind of weird, you know, like mm -hmm. who who really is asking for these reparations? Mm -hmm. you know and and so that's where I just feel like there's some degree of kind of like white guilt uh, virtue signaling going on. And so, you know, I think would be better is 
just to focus on these issues like criminal justice reform. Uh, I think, you know, some things like the, you know, the targeting of like the, the redlining in like, yeah. uh, you know, historically yeah. African-American neighborhoods. I think those are, are, are great, you know, no, steps forward. You definitely have to bring uh, into attention the injustices that was happening. Very true. That were happening. And you correct those. Very true. You really correct those. And I think that's where Warren shines. She does know where the problems are. She knows the details and the intricacies of the problems. Uh, I and but we hate to do this because you know in the Democratic uh, Party they keep talking about why do people keep talking about how we are going to pay for it because I'm sorry that is the fact of it you you have to figure out a way now if she said I'm gonna I'm gonna pull defense uh, spending down to zero and pay for that hey we're all for it maybe not to zero <laughs> okay maybe not to zero but yeah I mean I, I do enjoy my my safety here but. <laughs> But yeah, maybe you know a couple hundred billion, and then maybe we we won't spend as much as ten the ten other top spending countries you know combined. You know, right. like I think we could bring it down a little bit, and I think that could pay for a lot. You know, oh, tons because mm -hmm. these these motherfucking uh, defense contractors they just make a shitload of money, and off of our tax money, off of my kids' tax money in the future because they're gonna have to pay all those debt. And they end up making our country less safe. Yeah, that's true. You know, like we would have been far safer if we never went to uh, Iraq. Mm -hmm. uh, we would have been far safer if we never tried to arm the Syrian. Yeah, uh, we rebels. should take the money from Halliburton. Yeah, maybe that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah maybe uh, these war, con these defense contractors, maybe we claw that money back. Yeah, I, 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 I'm all for that. You know, like, and, and you know, and but, but I do have to give um, uh, Warren's uh, Elizabeth Warren credit for this because. Uh, she she's not part of the whole modern monetary theory movement. Uh, what do you mean? So modern monetary theory was kind of popularized by AOC. Mm -hmm. She heard this from an economist, and she's like, okay, this is the best theory ever. But it's basically saying that the government can't default on their own loan because the government can print their own money. So if the U.S. US uh, government can print their own money, they can pay off any loan because they just have to print it and pay it. Which is just not how that work out for the Weimark uh, yeah. Republic in Germany. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of debate. Basically, like, hey, it's just inflation, so you just tax people to get that money back out. But trust, I, I just don't think that's a wise thing to do. You just don't want to be printing money for no reason. And I do credit Elizabeth Warren for not jumping on that. Yeah, you know, it's because she's more thoughtful. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and I think you know. So this is my kind of this is somewhat conspiracy theory esque. But I have a feeling that Elizabeth Warren, like she's she sees the flaws in her wealth tax. So I, I, I do think that's maybe more so of like the opening gambit, you know, mm -hmm. and I think she's trying to maybe rattle the rich people mm -hmm. to maybe try to, OK, we're not going to get that wealth tax, but maybe we'll have like, you know, peel back some of Trump's tax cuts, maybe make some other uh, improvements in our tax code. Uh, I'm not you know entirely sure what her long term strategy is, but I have a sense that she understands the limitations of some of what she's putting mm -hmm. forward. Um, you know, perfect example is like the healthcare thing. Like, there's no way we're going to get to Medicare for all. Um, you know, despite whoever's in the White Office, uh, in, in the Oval Office, mm -hmm. um, there's always going to be some degree of compromise. So, right. Uh, I think she's just more so. She's a smart gal. So I think she's just signaling to certain segments of the Democratic Party. Um, you know, 
the people who, you know, have student loan debt, the people who, you know, have issues with their health care. And then, you know, there's and there's this populist angst against rich people. So she's also writing that, too. So some of this, uh, you know, it's a little. You cynical. know what? There is another policy that she has about how to tax people. And for some reason, I just can't remember right now, but I'm going to look it up really quick. But OK. OK. Yeah. I mean, you know, and also I think um, but going back to what, you know, this will pay for, though, um, I think, you know, I I think her uh, focus on universal child care, I think, you know, I think it's important that she's raising that issue. Because uh, here, here in Los Angeles, uh, most, uh, most, you know, uh, families, uh, you know, both parents work. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just a fact of modern day life because it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, Jack, you're, you're fortunate enough that neither one of you work. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're working really hard right now. <laughs> uh, so you won't necessarily benefit from universal child care. No. Um, but it's one of those things where like, I mean, I'm kind of curious, you know, as someone who is a parent, but who will not benefit from universal childcare. I mean, what, what's your opinion on the policy? Well, I mean, um, it's, I think it's fine. I think that really helps people and I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, because I think any money spent on children and our future is just going to be great. What I have an issue with is the government controlling that how good are they going to implement that? You know, yes, there's going to be a standard and that's the standard, but it just gets bastardized when, you know, you just, you don't let the market really work it out itself. Um, when you got these interests that are not aligned, you know, uh, you know, so, so it's got to be put through in the way you were saying it in a very thoughtful way for it to be effective. Um, but I'm afraid that, you know, with an eight year, a four year presidency, or maybe if she goes two terms, you're going to have to do this. And this is a major, major issue. And, uh, you know, because, uh, think about our schools now. Let me look at, look at LA, you know, Hey, when I was growing up and I had a big school too, I was 30 students to a one teacher. Now it's like 40 students to one teacher. You can't do that with pre-K. You can't have in preschool. You can only have like four or five te- four four or five kids to one teacher. So how are you going to implement that? So I just don't know. I just question the effectiveness of it. No, I agree. Yeah, it's a little. It has a quality of like a pipe dream. You know, um, I think you know one idea I have is like if you want to forgive people student loan debt, maybe you tie it to them. You know, working at these uh, child these universal daycare centers. You know, because to have you know that amount of college graduates. Uh, you know, working there, it's almost like a domestic peace corps in that sense. Yep, yep. Um, I'm not sure if she's going to connect those dots, but, you know, I, I agree in terms of the quality of it. I mean, if you look at uh, currently like New York City, they did like the universal pre-K, you know, one of the issues they're running into is uh, the people who are working at these centers aren't very qualified mm-hmm. and they're underpaid, you know, and that's why they're not very qualified. And and so it's something where how are you going to keep costs down? How are you going to get quality up? I mean, th- those are real challenges. Yeah, it's those are real challenges. This is a big issue. And this is not the only big issue she's attacking. So that's why back to your point on the debate oh, with, with the debate was she has a lot of big issues and you question how is she going to get everything passed through, you know, um, and only if we have a supermajority and they're still infighting within the Democratic Party, too. Oh, yeah, very true. And so one thing I'd be curious to hear as this primary season continues is what are her priorities? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, she has a plan for everything. But what is she pushing to the top of that list? That's true. That's true. I don't know exactly what it is. Um, she's got a she's she's got a lot of policies. She's got a plan for it. You know, I just don't know what her plan to get that plan in place. No, 
Oh, yeah, very true. You know, and, and so that's where I think, um, you know, I think she's been feeling criticisms about like she's kind of this academic in an ivory tower. And, you know, some of her ideas may very well be very impractical. And so I think uh, when it comes to general election, I'm sure that's going to be one line of criticism if she, if she is, in fact, the nominee. Uh, the other being the Pocahontas issue, which mm-hmm. we spoke about. Um and so the, those are kind of two big challenges for her. You know, I think that's where someone who runs a very similar platform like Bernie Sanders uh, is, uh, you know, ha- has some advantages in the sense that, you know, he's selling it more so of this idea of like a political revolution. So that's kind of an empty vessel for whatever and, people want. And, and with Sanders, you have a clear, he has a clear agenda, Medicare for all. True, yeah, that he, is, that's his big agenda. And everybody's been, hey, every, what Pete Buttigieg Medicare for all for everybody who wants it. Like, come on, everybody's biting off of him, you know? No, very true. Yeah, you're right. Sanders has done a much better job of, like, saying, hey, this is my signature issue, Medicare for all. You know, and, and Warren, you know, I, I appreciate that she's trying to address all these, you know, put, put all these different fires. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm left thinking, what, what exactly is her priority? Now, this is going to kind of segue into uh, the next uh, issue, that uh, policy issue. Then I think I, I, I want to hear your take on it. But this, uh, she, uh, the other way she was going to tax, inc- uh, pay for all these plans, was the tax on corporations. So uh, Amazon, remember, uh, so Amazon, so for most people. Uh, you hear the news on, uh, in the news all the time saying, hey, we have Amazon making $11 billion but paying zero income taxes. And everybody's outraged. Like, how can you make that much money but pay zero taxes? That doesn't make sense. This whole country, this whole tax system is rigged. Uh, the, the, they're, they're using too many tax loopholes. I'm sorry, they're not using tax loopholes. You have to understand, there's two systems of accounting. There is gap accounting, which generally accepted accounting principles, and which is done on an accrual basis. And there's um, a tax accounting, which is what you file to the government. And tax accounting, of course, taxes are are influenced by lobbyists and everything. But tax accounting, there are reasons for that. So that's why you have this discrepancy. So uh, the the company's uh, stock prices is based on generally accepted accounting principles, and that's gap accounting. And so that's why when they report their earnings to their shareholders, they can they they want to increase that amount as much as possible. And then when they re, re, uh, report their uh, income to the IRS, they want to lower that income as much as possible. So that's why you're getting this discrepancy. So she's saying that, hey, that's fine. If you don't want to ta- pay any income taxes, that's fine, Amazon. But what we're going to do is we're going to add a 7% tax on this line on the tax form based on what you report to your shareholders. So if you report $11 billion and you report zero income taxes, that's fine. We're still going to tax you 7% on that $11 billion. Which I think is a great idea, you know, because that is a very thoughtful idea. Oh yeah, because it's aligning incentives. You know, in one case they're incentivized to balloon these figures; the other one they're incentivized to decrease them. So it's like, hey, you know, like you either want a good share price or you want low taxes. You can't have them both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that segues into Warren Warren wanting to break up big tech. Ah, uh, yes. So this is also one of her big things. Uh, this is where she gets the criticism of using 20th century solutions for 21st century problems. Uh, and I say that because, you know, maybe breaking up big companies in 20th century made sense. But now that we're in like this global marketplace, uh, I think the nature of technology is different than, uh, you know, other industries. Uh, I think they're, it's not that all her ideas in this case are bad or all good. I think uh, we, we got to slice this for sure to a little thinner. And so, 
you know, for example, I'm actually for breaking up, say, parts of Amazon uh, because, you know, Amazon has Amazon basics. So say like, you know, you shop for diapers, you know, like uh, when you put in that search for diapers, one of the top results, oh, Amazon basic diapers. Hmm. And and also just just uh, I, I know people who sell on Amazon and, you know, they sell on Amazon, but they, they don't want to because once Amazon sees that you're doing well, they're going to be asking for more money. That's also an unfair advantage that Amazon has. Yeah, very true. Could they control both the marketplace and they're also someone selling on that marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so they have access to all that consumer data. They have access to what's selling well. Uh, you know, it's not hard to also do like kind of you know, figuring out people's profit margins, you know. And so, yeah, to your point, they can either raise rates on people who are doing well or uh, are, uh, compete with them but really put their thumb on the scale. And so, you know, that's bad for the consumer. It's bad for small businesses who are selling on Amazon. And so I'm all for her breaking that part out. Mm-hmm. Where I think it becomes more problematic is something like, say, Google. You know, I think she shows, maybe she's showing her age, I don't know what, but, like, she doesn't quite understand how, you know, when a case, say, comes from maps, like trying to separate ways from, like, Google Maps. You know, like, as a principle, yes, competition is good, but at the same time, you know, when it comes to map makers, like Waze was originally uh, an Israeli company. And so if other, you know, tech companies from around the world uh, aren't getting broken up and they can, you know, benefit from acquiring their rivals uh, and, and rivals technology, then, you know, pretty soon, you know, we have the lead, you know, in the information technology, we can lose that lead. And keep in mind, Waze... Um, only got much better on Google because of all the data Google has. Exactly. Yeah, there is a real benefit to you know the synergy. Oh, yeah, exactly. Lots of synergy there. Exactly. And you know, and we and from the from the part of the consumer, like, guess what? You know, when I search for like score of the Laker game, I like it how Google shows me the score of the Laker game. You it know, pops like, up right at the top. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But if you're like, oh no, that's not fair to ESPN. You have to now click through to ESPN. It's like, hey, as a consumer, now you're making my life harder. Yeah. You know. And so yeah. that's where I think you know there needs to be some limits to this kind of break up big tech. Talk. Like like you said, nobody's using Bing now. Exactly. Yeah. No one likes the second best search engine. You know, <laughs> like you know, consumers always want the best of everything. And mm-hmm. so you know, and the whole reason for competition is to get the best. I mean, it it, it speaks to our gen generation when i need a toothbrush i go what is the best toothbrush in the world <laughs> you know <laughs> oh, yeah, very true and, and so it's something where it's like you know i think it's rather than think oh all competition is always good and whatever whatever you know think like okay what is the best case you know scenario for the consumer and also we are more sophisticated consumers than the uh, than previous generations previous generations don't take into a, account a lot of stuff that we do uh, uh, what do you mean no, I mean we look at the, the 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 financial aspect, the social aspect of it. Um, we look at the, what the materials made out of, like because we have so much more information on our fingertips. It used to be you walk into a store and you saw five products in front of you, and then you get to compare it there over there. But now you go to the store, you look at it, then you go online and you search for it, and you figure out which one's the best, which one suits your need, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, and, and also with with programs, you know, like hey, I'm gonna ask you what is the best video software program i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go for the like the the lowest cost software program that's not gonna deliver the things that i need yeah very true you know so technology has this natural kind of competitive uh you know competition within it in terms of quality uh because you know a lot of it's being created as we speak you know so i think it's something where i think it's well-intentioned her desire to break up big tech but uh, i don't i don't think it's very thoughtful also i think you know companies like uh facebook like they're intermingling whatsapp 
Instagram, Facebook so much that at this point it's going to be very difficult to disentangle them. And and also to your point is we're now in a, we're not in a, a a domestic situation. We're not in a global situation. No, we're not competing against ourselves. We're competing competing against uh, you know the WeChat and the Alibabas of China. You know, we're we're competing with um, you know Weibo. You know, I I'm trying to think of an European company that's <laughs> you know, but but yeah, we why uh, I I I understand why, but like we need to be more thoughtful about breaking up our biggest industries. Yeah, no, true. You know, like uh, and I think it's something where you can case in point TikTok is like you know gaining popularity. I think they've gained uh, more market share than even say I think. Ooh, don't quote me on this. Maybe Instagram, um, but it's something where uh, that's a Chinese-owned uh, yeah. company. Well, definitely more than Snapchat. More than Snapchat, yeah, definitely more than Snapchat. And so it's something where that's a Chinese-owned company. Uh, and so, you know, and they're not playing with the same restrictions that say like a uh, Facebook or Instagram. They got the full support of the government over there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if anything, government's <laughs> helping support them. And so it's just like, we can't be like, oh, China, that's not very fair. You know, but yeah. it's just thing where, hey, you know, like that's the game that's being played. We got to help our own domestic uh, companies and industries. Yeah. I mean, and if you think about the, the, the tech companies, they've done a lot for um, uh, workforce uh, standards. You know, hey, you know, when when did you ever see a pool table at your work? <laughs> no, very true. Yeah, I work in the tech industry, so I need there's like a keg on tap at some of these places. I was playing ping pong, <laughs> kombucha, all you want. <laughs> yeah, like but you know, barbecue for lunch. I mean, like no, it's it's great, you know. Yeah. So I, I mean, mean, work from home, like that's unheard of from from old industries. Google changed that. Yeah, no, very true. And so it's something where it's like, you know, let, let's let uh, let's kind of, you know, be a little more thoughtful in terms of like, you know, demonizing these, these big companies. Well, I will say this, though. Uh, when it comes to like Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, uh, these information platforms, uh, I think the right tack is to regulate them because I think if you let them go unregulated, then they begin to uh, impinge on free speech. I think what happened to Alex Jones is terrible. And no. Steven Crowder. Yeah, because it's not like I'm a big Alex Jones fan or anything like that, but it's like, hey, he even if I don't agree with what he has to say, he has a right to say it. Yeah, you show, know? show your Alex Jones tattoo, your InfoWars tattoo. Come <laughs> on, man. <laughs> you know, I've actually never seen an episode of that show. No, I haven't either. Yeah. Uh, I have no interest to, but you know, if other people have an interest to, go for it. You know what I mean? Like, is this something where uh, I don't think the answer is in like silencing voices in this conversation. And I think that's where big companies like Facebook and like Google, I think that's the danger of their size. And I think, but rather than break them up, I think we just need to put regulation on So, them. So here's the thing with Warren. It's, she makes a very good, clear choice about how to uh, uh, break up Amazon. And that's a very specific situation. You can really see that. But when you're talking about all these other tech companies, I, I it's just, it just seems uh, a little too much of a, you're, she's using a big hammer, like a, a sledgehammer for this process, for this problem. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where if you have a hammer, everything starts looking like a nail. Right. I mean, um, I, I would hope, you know, just knowing her character that, you know, she's shown a willingness to learn, a willingness to admit when she's wrong. Uh, you know, perfect example is the whole bankruptcy issue. And so that's where I, you know, despite my disagreement with her stance on breaking up big tech, uh, I trust that she, if just looking at past performance, past behavior, uh, she will learn the error of her ways and, and make adjustments along the way. Okay. So, uh, uh, how do you like, so, so kind of, uh, in conclusion, what do you, what, what's your assessment of Warren? Do you think she's, uh, she would do well going against Trump? 
Uh, so here's the thing, you know, with, with Warren, uh, she's actually, uh, full disclosure, she's my second favorite candidate in this race. Um, and it's uh, because, uh, one, she is just by far the most fluent. Uh, she's the most thoughtful in her policies. Uh, they have their issues, you know, and that's why, like, I prefer Angie Yang's The Simplicity of the Universal Basic Income. Uh, but that said, her real weakness is in style, you know. Like, I hate the fact that we live in this world, but at the end of the day, the presidency is a bit of a popularity contest, and she has shown uh, an inability to go toe-to-toe with Trump. I think the Pocahontas thing is just, it's, it's going to haunt her. That's going to come back, and it's just, she's going to be a butt of a joke at that time. And the meme wars, the memes are going to go crazy on her, too. Hey, she's going to lose the 2020 meme war. Yeah, <laughs> she is. She is. I mean, she's got the grassroots, but, you know, we're in L.A., so we can see that. I, I don't know how she will do in the red states. Yeah, just because I, I just feel like just the nature of the conversation, like, it, it just benefits these, like, sound bites. It benefits, like, person cult of personality. And I think that's not her strong suit. Her strong suit is giving like very thoughtful, reasoned explanations. And maybe it's cynicism about the American people. It's not that the American people are stupid, but it says that they're just too busy and they're too apathetic to really spend the time to invest and and, and really learn about these issues. You know, I, I think case in point, if that wasn't true, how the hell did Donald Trump win? Yeah. You know, like, I mean, they're just so busy working. They're so exactly. busy making putting food on the table. They don't have time to think about all this. Exactly. And all they resort to is just like, you know, these very kind of crude labels of like Democrat, Republican, and like communist, whatever, capitalist, whatever. And so I think it's something where out of my cynicism, that's what concerns me if uh, Warren did win uh, the nomination. Uh, and that's why to some degree I would say Sanders is a better is probably a, a more viable candidate uh, in the 2020 uh, general election just because uh, from an issue of style, he can go against Trump because his messaging is a lot more simple, a lot more emotional. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of uh, personality, uh, I think he's a lot more difficult uh, to attack, for Trump to attack. Uh, and I think uh, Sanders shows uh, an ability to kind of get down into the trenches. And, and, you know, and, fight. and Sanders has been to a Fox News town hall. Yeah, true, yeah. He's not and afraid. He, and he was well-received by the people there. Yeah, because he knows how to speak to the heart. Like, he has that charisma of speaking to their actual felt needs, mm-hmm. you know. And I think as much as Elizabeth Warren is trying to be more folksy, I think she is who she is. She is an intellectual, and that's why I like and, her. And she's like genuine. That's and she's very thing. genuine, you know. But at the end of the day, I think people, they, they want to hear it from the gut. But but also with her, it's uh, unfortunately, she's only speaking to one side. I, I, I just don't think she really speaks to to the Republican side. The people, I, don't, I just don't see how a libertarian will want to vote for her after seeing all these policies. I don't see how a Republican will want to vote for her after seeing all these policies. You know, they're just going to say, you're just giving the country away. No, true. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Taj Tell. If you like what you heard, go ahead and just smash that subscribe button. Or give us a like, a thumbs up, anything to help. And make sure you turn on the notifications. Five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> I don't know what the ratings are. A lot of... Or Google. <laughs>